Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Stay with CNN for the latest from Ukraine. The news continues. We're going to hand over to Wolf Blitzer and CNN Tonight. Wolf. Anderson, thank you very much. I'm Wolf Blitzer. This is CNN Tonight. We want to welcome our viewers here in the United States and around the world. So what is Russia up to now? The Pentagon is warning, don't be fooled by Moscow's new claims that it's easing up its military assault on Ukraine's capital. The threat to Kyiv isn't over. In fact, our reporter on the ground there says, if anything, he's hearing more explosions tonight in the capital, an uptick in shelling and intense fighting continuing around the suburbs of Kyiv this afternoon. We're about to take you there live, but first, some words of caution from the U.S. Defense Department earlier today. Has there been some movement by some Russian units away from Kyiv uh, in the last day or so? Yeah, we think so. Small numbers. But we believe that this is a repositioning, not a real withdrawal, and that we all should be prepared to watch for a major offensive against other areas of Ukraine. So is this just a repositioning, not a real withdrawal? As the Pentagon claims, the, the president, President Biden, also expressing opt- skepticism. We'll see. I don't read anything into it until I see what their actions are. We'll see if they follow through on what they're suggesting. And as Ukraine's President Zelensky notes, bombs are still dropping, missiles are still flying. The enemy is still on our territory. They carry on shelling our cities. Mariupol is besieged. Rocket and air attacks are not stopping. This is a reality. This is a fact. The signals that we hear from the negotiating platform can be called positive. But these signals don't drown out the explosions of Russian bombs. And we have brand new video just into CNN tonight of extensive destruction in Irpina, suburb of Kyiv. A warning to our viewers, some of what you're about to see is very, very disturbing. It shows the full extent of the devastation after Ukrainian forces pushed Russian troops out over the last 36 hours. CNN has geolocated and verified the authenticity of the footage. One of the first videos in weeks from the eastern part of Irpina and intense, as intense fighting there made it impossible to access safely. Aside from the debris and the destruction of the buildings, the bodies of civilians are the only thing in the streets. There are at least five bodies in the video. Who they are and how they died, that is unclear. Let's go to CNN's senior international correspondent, Fred Pleitkin. He's joining us now live from Kiev. Fred, you're there in the capital. Russia says they're scaling back. The U.S. says they're likely just repositioning their troops. What's your sense of the reality on the ground where you are? 
Well, the reality on the ground is, Wolf, that today was really one of the most violent days that we've seen here in Kiev in a very long time, certainly in this in this uh, past entire week. The whole day saw massive shelling. And, you know, when we heard that announcement by the Russians after those negotiations that they had to, with the with the Ukrainians there in Istanbul, uh, saying that they would uh, take some of their forces out uh, of the region around Kiev and try to relieve or try to relieve some of the pressure off Kiev, we actually went down to the area around the front line. You can see some of the video uh, that we shot today of some of the massive destruction in those areas close to the front line. And what you heard there was still massive ongoing battle. Shelling uh, was going on everywhere. It was really, really intense and appeared to us at least uh, to be going both ways. Now, we did manage to speak to a lot of folks who are still out there and none of them believe that Russia was really pulling back uh, because uh, they wanted to create some sort of trust with the Ukrainians. Uh, most of them said that if Russia is indeed pulling back, it's because they simply lost, because they can't enter the capital, Kiev, and because obviously their troops are in big trouble here because the Ukrainian army has been a lot stronger uh, than, than the Russians would have thought. Now, one thing, though, that did uh, catch our eye, and I think this is really important, Wolf, is that we talked to the Territorial Defense Force here on the ground, and they told us that in the past couple of days, they had seen a distinct uptick in shelling. That means there have been, have been, has been more shooting coming from the Russian side towards the Ukrainian side. And the forces here of the Ukrainians think that could either be because there's some sort of scorched earth tactic that the Russians might be using or because they might be covering some sort of withdrawal. And that, of course, would mesh with uh, what the Pentagon has been saying, that they say some forces might be withdrawing, but it might be a repositioning. Of course, that repositioning, if they are going to other front lines in Ukraine, would have to go via Belarusian and then Russian territory, but definitely would have to go to the north first. So that could be the case. Very hard to tell at this point in time, though, Wolf. All right, Fred Plankin reporting from Kiev. Fred, stay safe over there. We'll be in touch. Uh, earlier in the day, U.S. intelligence officials were calling talk of a Russian pullback, uh, a, quote, major strategy uh, shift. Meanwhile, the uh, White House and the Pentagon taking more of a wait-and-see attitude. Let's get some perspective from not one, but two former NATO Supreme Allied Commanders, retired Generals Wesley Clark and Philip Breedlove. Uh, Generals, thanks to both of you for joining us. General Clark, uh, what are we seeing right now? Are, are Russian troops actually pulling back altogether? Are they shifting their focus to the east or something else? They're trying to reconstitute some of the units that were beaten up in the unsuccessful attempt to seize Kiev. That's for sure. But they're going to keep their artillery and rocket forces trained on Kiev. They're going to continue to pound the city. Um, there is likely that the, the forces around Kharkiv and Izium are going to try to go south to try to cut off the Ukrainian forces that are holding the Donbass pocket there. This is classic Eastern European military tactics. They're going to try to do an envelopment of the Ukrainian forces. They're east of the Dnieper River, cut them off and annihilate them. And then they'll swing back and then try to encircle Kiev. So, look, Vladimir Putin is very clear. He wants to eradicate Ukraine. So we shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't take any solace in the limited counterattacks given by the Ukrainians that have been successful or the fact of what Russia says about redeploying. This is a tough, tough fight that's going to continue. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, General Breedlove, uh, we've heard this type of talk from the Russians before, specifically right before launching the invasion. So what, what do you need to see before buying, uh, buying this move uh, towards what they're supposedly talking about, de-escalation? Well, the Russians, as you know, are famous for Moskorovka. 
masking what they're really doing. And that's why I think a healthy dose of skepticism is important here, just as General Clark has said. I believe they are going to leave that artillery behind to try to fix the defenses of Kiev in place so that they can't respond. And just as was described, move them to the east to try to cut off those forces in the Donbass. And they would marry up with forces coming north out of the the uh, the area along the coast in Mariupol, as Mariupol is now fallen. And so those forces would also enter into the fight. And what we want to see is whether they do actually begin moving those large units to the east and then to the south. Well, General Breedlove, let me follow up. How much is the word of the Russians worth right now, given that they still won't say it was their forces that actually invaded Crimea, for example? Uh, their word is not worth anything, really. Did you see today the gentleman from Russia that walked through uh, in in Mariupol and he was pointing at this large theater where all of the children and people were killed and he was describing to Russian uh, news that it looked like this was done from the inside and this was done to blame on the Russians. So this is their their lie machine, their... their um, their information, disinformation campaign on high speed. General Clark, the Ukrainians have been fighting this war with mostly defensive weapons like the Javelin, for example, the Stinger missiles. Uh, what, do they need, what do they need right now to go from defense to offense? Well, they need a different set of weapons. They have some of them in limited quantities. They need armored fighting vehicles, tanks, uh, mobile artillery, long-range rockets, and they need air cover. And they don't have that, not in sufficient numbers. And most of those systems are uh, of Soviet origin, so we don't have them to give. This has to come from our European allies and our friends around the world, who countries like Kuwait and others who bought Russian equipment. They've got to belly up and give it up. Because this war in Ukraine is, is about everybody. This is about a, an assault on the international system of international law and a rules-based order. If Putin gets away with this, he'll go after the next one. So everyone should be involved and they should be generous in giving these weapons up to the Ukrainians who are using them quite well. But without support from our East European allies and those others and artillery ammunition, rockets, the, the armored fighting vehicles, the MiGs, the other aircraft, the Sukhois they need. Look, Russia will consolidate and close in around Ukraine, and we're going to have an ethnic cleansing, humanitarian tragedy like the world has never seen if we don't stop it. Wow. You know, General Breedlove, uh, while you were the uh, NATO uh, Supreme Allied Commander, your forces conducted exercises alongside the Ukrainians. Uh, is there more U.S. forces uh, should be doing right now while remaining, for example, in Poland? What else could the NATO troops, the U.S. troops specifically, be doing? Well, let me just echo what was said, because I think it's very important. This army of Ukraine is consuming things at a great rate at its fight. At, in this fight. And, and as General Clark said, there are some high-end items that they need, but they also need basic resupply of the, of the ammunition, food, medical supplies. We need to pour on the gas, getting to them the things that they consume while they fight. And yes, there are things that we can still do to help train them if needed 
in NATO areas. But but truly, I don't think they're going to take any other forces out of the fight right now because they are on a razor's edge as they are trying to turn the tide. And in some places, they are turning the tide. General Breedlove, uh, General Clark, uh, generals, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, obviously, we're going to stay on top of this story. One thing appears very certain right now, Ukrainians are putting up a fight for their country that Vladimir Putin wasn't prepared for. We're going to turn to someone in the resistance in Ukraine for her take on Russia's suspicious claims that it's pulling back from Kyiv. Uh, she's a member of parliament in Ukraine. There you see her. She's standing by live. Kira Rudik will discuss when we get back. Despite Russia's claims that it would scale back its military activity around Kyiv, air raid sirens are still sounding tonight in the capital city. Our CNN crews on the ground say major artillery and rocket fire can be heard. And it comes as we're getting this new video again. We warn you that it is disturbing at times. These pictures showing the extent of destruction in the Kyiv suburb of Irpin. Uh, what's left is a wasteland with civilian bodies scattered on the streets. I want to bring in Kira Rudik, a Ukrainian parliament member who's in Kyiv in for us right now. Uh, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, uh, it, it's really painful to see what's going on. So let me first ask you, Kira, before we move on, how are you doing? Hi, Wolf. Thank you so much for having me again. It's always good to talk to you. I'm doing okay. Uh, we do not trust Russians a bit. And when they're saying that uh, they will regroup or they will pull back, we just train harder. The uh, air raid sirens are not off this night. So it's 4 a.m. in Kiev and, uh, and we are still up. We know that when you hear air raid sirens, it basically means that Russians want to kill somebody. And we all are thinking, okay, let us let this not be us this time. You and I have spoken several times over these past few weeks, uh, Kira, and I know you're a very courageous woman. Uh, you've remained in Kyiv, the capital, throughout this invasion and uh, had even undergone uh, weapons training at one point to prepare for a fight. Tell us what you're seeing there on the ground right now. How concerned should, should we be? Russia claims it's moving on, but the evidence is not pointing to that at all. Uh, yeah, well, I continue my training, and on day 35 of the war, I'm much better than on day one. This is uh, absolutely a fact. And uh, the resistance team that I'm a part of continues training and has been doing some tasks uh, for the Ukrainian army, and we continue working, continue making sure this, like the whole organization works in a whole. As of um, Kiev and Russian forces, every single time, as I told you a million times, every single time we, hold, we hear Russia saying uh, we want peace, we know that this means the opposite. Every single time they're saying, oh, we are pulling back or we are regrouping or we want uh, to finish this war. We know that this is exactly a lie and they, they are just want to kill more and more of Ukrainian people. Uh, so right now I'm more concentrated on parliamentary work. Parliament uh, it has uh, uh, next seating soon, and uh, uh, there has been at least four seatings since the beginning of the war. 
the democracy is working here. Wolf, we are working here and we are making sure that uh, the country uh, is able to resist, the country is able to survive and that we will go through it and that we will win. However, on the day 35 and on the day one, I'm asking for the same things. I'm asking for mix for my country, for fighter jets, for air force action. Because honestly, Wolf, on the day 35, we are at the same position with our air force defense that we were on the day one. And this is heartening. This means that in 35 days, the world leaders were not able to make these essential decisions for my country to be able to protect us, to be able to give us this ability to protect ourselves. And that however brave we are fighting on the ground, we will still not be able to protect us in the air because we don't have means for it. So if, if the president of the United States or the other 29 NATO uh, allied leaders are watching right now, what is your bottom line message to them, Kira? Every single moment of procrastination of not wanting to take responsibility, every single moment of hoping that somebody else will do it uh, is uh, a price that my people are paying with their blood. It's a price that we are paying with our lives. And I'm still on the day 35 of incredibly brave fight against one of the largest armies in the world. I'm still asking for the same thing. Help us close our skies. Make this terror stop for us. Let us fight for our country on the ground where we are fighting Russians back. Help us. Help us to win this war. Give us this chance. The chance that we so desperately need. And it curtains me that on the day 35, as badly as we need it on the day one. Following today's talks, uh, as you know, in Istanbul, Turkey, an advisor to the Ukrainian president Zelensky said there's now a, quote, likelihood that the two presidents potentially could be. Do you believe this meeting between Putin and Zelensky could actually happen? Will it happen? And if not, do you see any pathway to an off-ramp at this point? So, first of all, I don't see um, a reason for talking to Putin. Well, I understand the motives, but I don't know what it would change. I do not believe that it would change anything. Uh, we right now need to get onto the security guarantees from the NATO countries, from the other countries. This is the most important point of uh, these negotiations. Otherwise, it's just talking with Russians, and you have seen yourself how that goes. Whatever they say, it turns out to be a lie. We go into another round. They are shelling our cities. They're killing more people. And it's just not moving. So the main thing is to get the security guarantees. After that, uh, there could be some talks. There could be some negotiations. Right now, I don't see any like huge line of world leaders saying, take us as guarantors. Take us. Everybody is being very cautious. And I understand why. But what we know for sure is that without the guarantees, uh, there could not be any, not even peaceful negotiations. There could not be any deal. And I can tell you, Wolf, that in preparation with this, to these peaceful negotiations, Russia have, had stopped the humanitarian convoys out of the siege cities. They have taken more and more women and children to Russia. And you know how they call it? They call it exchange pool. 
so to exchange it for to capture Russian soldiers here in Ukraine. And of course, I want to remind everybody that when President Biden was speaking in Poland at exactly the same time, Russians were firing their missiles to the closest uh, place to the Polish border. So uh, Russians do not intend to have peace right now. They intend to have more and more fight, more and more leverage in these negotiations. And this is why we need heavy weight in these negotiations. This is why we need the support of everybody who truly wants peace of all the democratic countries. And again, this is a question mark. Why are we not getting that? Yeah, I remember just before the speech in Warsaw, the uh, Russians attacked those oil depots right outside of Lviv in western Ukraine. It was supposed to be a relatively safe area. It turned out to be not that safe. Uh, Kira Rudik, be careful over there. Stay in touch with us. Uh, we will stay in touch with you. Thank you so much for joining us and good luck. Thank you. So how does this all end and when does this end? Uh, a story of hope amid the horror ahead. You're going to hear from someone whose family survived that devastating attack on a theater bombed in Mariupol, filled with more than a thousand people, including many children. We have details. That's next. I want to turn now to the uh, scene in Mariupol. Neighborhoods leveled, buildings flattened, among them Mariupol's drama theater, which housed up to 1,300 people simply seeking shelter. Images of the building just prior to the attack show the word children painted on the ground outside in giant Russian letters. The message seen here, large enough to be viewed from the sky, was scrawled near a public square. Russia denies uh, its forces hit the theater, an attack believed to have killed at least 300 people. Our Ivan Watson spoke with someone who was inside the theater moments before it was hit. She shares her harrowing story of survival with Ivan. This was the Mariupol drama theater before Vladimir Putin invaded Ukraine, a cultural and architectural symbol of the city. And when the Russian military laid its deadly siege of Mariupol, the theater became a safe haven. Six people, like with a cat, we go on, on the street and Russian tanks started to shoot at us and we run in with craziness and then we go to the theater and you know what, in the theater was a lot of people, they was like, be okay, we have a food, they give us a tea uh, and they said like, you should find a place where you could, uh, like, uh, like a bed. This woman and her family recently escaped from Mariupol. My name is Maria Kutnyakova. I'm from Mariupol. I'm Maria from Mariupol. On the morning of March 16th, Maria, her mother, sister and cat joined hundreds of other civilians sheltering in the theater. Footage from March 10th shows families huddled there in the dark, feeling protected perhaps by the signs Deti, children in Russian, that volunteers posted outside the building. Shortly after arriving, Maria went to check whether an uncle who lived nearby was still alive. Now I hear in the noise of the plane, like bombs playing. We know how it's, uh, not, uh, you know, uh, how it's uh, this noise because it's bombed every day. She returned to the theater to find it destroyed. So I understand that my family is in the theater. 
and uh, everyone uh, screaming the names, you know, like Mama, Papa, Lyosha, Sasha, and I'm starting calling like Mom, Galia. Footage of the immediate aftermath shows dazed civilians covered in dust, while the roof over the main auditorium had completely collapsed. When the theater was bombed, uh, my sister was standing with the window and the window was like blow up and she's fallen down. And my mom was in another part of the theater and wall uh, fallen to her. Maria's mother and sister were wounded but survived. Your sister, is she doing all right? Um, no. Really? Uh, she's like contuse. She's got a concussion. She is, yeah, yeah, yeah. Shortly after the initial strike on the theater, Maria says what was left of the building came under a fresh artillery attack. Everyone started uh, screaming that uh, uh, Sietra is on fire, mm -hmm. so we should run. And we ran in, but Russians bombed it. So we ran in from the Sietra and bombs was like this, this, this. It eventually took nine days for Maria and her family to get through Russian checkpoints and reach relative safety in Ukrainian-controlled territory. You seem very positive and upbeat right now. Uh, I understand that I'm very lucky. I'm very, you understand, like thousands and hundreds of people still in Mariupol and they bombed. They have no food, no water, uh, they have no medicine, nothing. And I'm understand I'm, I'm very lucky. Like, mm. I have my arms, I have my legs, uh, uh, what I need anymore, nothing. And your family. Yeah, and my family, my cat is in safe, so like. This is little Mushka, she's a two-year-old cat, and she survived the bombing of the Mariupol theater uh, with, with her family and they're now headed to western Ukraine in this bus. But no one knows how many people may have died under the rubble. Russia has denied that its forces bombed the theater and Russian state TV recently showed what was left of it after Russian troops moved into this part of the city. Judging by the damage, the Russian reporter claims, it was bombed from the inside. He alleges there is information that Ukrainian nationalists organized a terrorist attack here a claim that people inside the theater strongly reject. Are you angry right now? Uh, no, I want that Russian just go away. This is Ukrainian territory. I don't understand why they come in and tell me that it's not my land. They're not fighting with the army. They're fighting with every citizen. You know, they bombed hospitals, they bombed kindergartens, they bombed the uh, houses of uh, uh, peaceful people. They're not fighting with the armies. Maria and her family rush to a waiting van. The driver will take them for free to western Ukraine, where Maria hopes her sister can safely recover from her injuries. And Ivan Watson is joining us now live. Uh, Ivan, so what's next for Maria and her family beyond that? Well, I believe they're en route to the west of the country towards the Polish border. And uh, Ukraine's big. It, it'll take two days to drive from here to there, and they'd have to overnight somewhere uh, along the way. Uh, they did not say, they said, that they planned to, to leave the country. You know, I asked, what about 
perhaps staying here because Zaporizhia, the ground war, has not hit this city uh, and uh, it's relatively calm. Uh, in fact, it was the first kind of uh, safe sanctuary that the family had seen in, in more than a month. And Maria said, oh, we like it. It's quiet here. It's, it's pretty nice. But, you know, the air raid sirens do still go off here and it's still too close to the Russian front lines. There are Russian tanks uh, less than 30 miles from where I'm standing right now. And this is a family that is just not going to risk that kind of proximity again anytime soon. Wolf. Obviously, that's totally understandable. Uh, Ivan Watson in Zaporizhia. Uh, Ivan, be careful over there. Thank you very, very much. Coming up, we're getting new information right now uh, on a story that CNN first broke last month. Uh, the hours hours-long gap and then President Trump's White House call records on January 6th. That includes the time the insurrection was clearly underway. A member of the January 6th Select Committee standing by live to join me will discuss what all this means for the probe when we come back. A gap of more than seven hours in the official White House records from January 6th. The new reporting from The Washington Post and CBS News illustrating just how big the holes of the January 6th committee is trying to fill right now. That detail follows reporting by CNN last month, which first revealed a gap of several hours. I'm joined now by a key member of the January 6th Select Committee and the chair of the House Intelligence Committee, Democratic Congressman Adam Schiff. Uh, Congressman, thanks so much for joining us. Is there any evidence the phone records were tampered with? Uh, you know, I don't uh, know how to explain yet uh, the gap that's being reported. I'm not ready to leap to any conclusions about the reason. But I can tell you that we have multiple sources of information uh, to try to uh, cover up any blind spots. Uh, we don't rely on a single source. We don't rely just on records we get from the archives or just on one particular witness or another or different call records. Uh, what we're trying to do is from as many sources as possible fill in exactly what the president was doing on January 6th and of equal importance, what he was failing to do while the Capitol was under attack. Uh, and I'm confident that we're getting good information. We'll be able to put those pieces together. Uh, and one of those pieces right now is why is there a gap uh, reportedly in these call records? We know the former president was on calls uh, with the likes of uh, Mike Lee and Kevin McCarthy during that seven and a half hour window. Why haven't you subpoenaed their phone records? Uh, you know, I, I'm not able to comment on what phone records we have subpoenaed or not subpoenaed, um, but we are being very aggressive to make sure that we get all the information needed to protect the country, that we can put together the full chronology of each and every effort to overturn the election. Uh, and one of those uh, lines of effort involved the House of Representatives and the Senate and trying to get senators and House members to vote down uh, the certificate of electors uh, to try to get them to weigh in with the vice president or do whatever the president needed done to uh, cease the or stop the peaceful transfer of power for the first time in our history. So um, we are looking into all these things and we're not being shy about how we do it. I want to play for you, uh, Congressman, uh, what Chris Christie said about trying to get Trump on the phone that day. Listen to this. First, I called his secretary. She didn't pick up the phone, went right to her voicemail. Then I called his body person, um, and he didn't answer his phone. 
Then I called the White House switchboard and asked to be put through. Um, and they said he was not available. And then I called his personal cell phone. Now, I knew that most of the time he didn't bring his cell phone down into the Oval Office, but I thought maybe he had it or maybe he was in the residence. I didn't know where he was. So I tried his cell phone and, and it went to voicemail. Couldn't, couldn't that indicate more about the unusual circumstances of that day than uh, some sort of cover-up, for example? Uh, you know, uh, it's a good reason why we shouldn't speculate about what the reason may be for uh, a gap in that call record. Um, it could be a lot of things. It could be maybe the president didn't want to talk to Chris Christie, for all that matter. Um, so we don't know, uh, but uh, we will certainly be endeavoring to find out um, and we know a lot about what the president was doing during those hours. So we know a lot already and we're learning more each day and that's going to continue. While I have you, Congressman, let me turn to your role as the chair of the House Intelligence Committee. Uh, first of all, do you agree with the top U.S. general in Europe who told Congress today that an intelligence gap may have led to overestimating Russian forces, what they were capable of doing in Ukraine? Uh, you know, it's interesting, Wolf. I think the intelligence community has done a really remarkable job uh, in almost every respect uh, in assessing what Putin was intending, uh, in declassifying that information so that the president shared it with the world and helped prepare the world for what was happening, uh, declassifying intelligence about uh, Russia's potential plans to use chemical and biological weapons, uh, Russia's ask of China for help. All those things, I think, were good intelligence. Um, the one area where I think we may have gotten it wrong is in our understanding of Russian military capabilities. But you know something? It looks like Putin got that wrong, too. Yeah. Um, and, you know, one thing that we need to try to figure out is, was this, a, you know, failing in terms of knowing the strengths of the Russian military? Or was this a situation where Putin was not confiding in people what his plans were? Uh, and therefore, the military was, wasn't ready, not because they're not capable but because Putin wouldn't allow them to prepare for what he was planning. And one thing also impressive is uh, the capability of the Ukrainian military. They're doing uh, obviously so much better than so many people had thought. They thought it would be over within a few days. Clearly, this is day 34, almost day 35 right now. Uh, what's your bottom line assessment right now, based on everything you know, uh, uh, Congressman? Where is this heading? I think it's headed for a, a protracted conflict uh, in which uh, you know, Russia uh, depletes its resources. Um, and I don't know where that kind of stalemated end leads, except tragically to a lot of loss of Ukrainian lives. Uh, so I, I agree with what your generals uh, on the show were discussing earlier, which is the best way to bring this to an early conclusion or an earlier conclusion is by making sure we provide Ukraine with every weapon we can to help it defend itself, help it raise the costs on Russia for this sustained and bloody campaign. Uh, and I think only then when, when Russia cannot uh, um, sustain their military effort anymore and when the Russian public starts to turn on Putin, uh, will they look for a way to get out. Congressman Adam Schiff, as usual, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Wolf. More than 600,000 Ukrainians have escaped to Hungary. Uh, CNN is there uh, taking a closer look at that country uh, is quickly how it's quickly adopting to this enormous humanitarian crisis. You're going to see why the relief mission is so deeply personal for one volunteer. That's next.
3.9 million and counting. That's how many people have escaped Ukraine since the start of the Russian invasion in late February, according to the United Nations. CNN's Matt Rivers is in Budapest talking to refugees, including one who is now volunteering to help other newly arrived refugees. Each time a new group shows up, it's anybody's guess how many refugees there will be. But more than a month into this war, weary Ukrainians keep coming and coming, looking for safety in the Hungarian capital of Budapest. So authorities here say that as compared to a few weeks ago, things are now much more organized. So once people come in, they get processed. And then the idea is to get them to where they want to go. So if they want to stay here, they go to door number four over here to get local accommodation. Door number three, that would take them to the airport. And door number two and number one over here, this is where refugees go when they want to go to the train station here locally. Making their journey a little easier is Yulia Pokilenko. She's a volunteer, translating Ukrainian into Hungarian or English. And here, she helps us speak with this couple who left behind family as they fled Ukraine just a week ago. Are you worried about them? She wants what everybody wants to stay alive and be healthy. She wants what everybody wants to be safe. It's finished. Yulia has a gentle touch with these new arrivals. She's warm and kind and empathetic because she too is a refugee from a suburb of Kyiv. She fled amidst intense fighting a few weeks ago. Yulia took this video just before she left of the shelter she used when the bombs were falling. And on her way out of the city, she took this video of shell casings on the ground. Was it difficult to leave your country? Yes, of course. It's, Why? Uh, because it's your country. It's your land. It's so, so shocked. It's so sad, surprising for what happened and for why. She's been here for several weeks with no plans to leave. Yulia desperately wants to be back in Ukraine, but for now, she'll help however she can. Why are you doing that? Little help, it's help. Everybody wants help Ukraine how you can. And today, that meant everything from serving up hot drinks to guiding this woman to get her medication. However, she can show people that she cares. And at the end of our interview, a hug for us, too. Tell everybody about this story. And a message. Help, please. Stop at this. We will. Thank you. You're great. And Matt Rivers is joining us now. Uh, Matt, so what more can you tell us about how Budapest is dealing with this constant influx of uh, Ukrainian refugees? Yeah, well, Wolf, I mean, this is a number that has just grown exponentially since the beginning of this war. We got the latest data from uh, police here in Hungary who now say that more than 500,000 Hungarians or uh, Ukrainians rather have crossed here into uh, Hungary. Hungary only has a population of about 10 million people. So that's a 5% increase in the population here uh, in just the last few weeks alone, Wolf. However, it does appear like authorities had things more organized than a few weeks ago. They've been able to kind of catch their breath a little bit as the numbers of uh, refugees have slowed down a little bit. But it's also clear that, as we saw today, they're relying on some of these Ukrainian citizens themselves to say, hey, look, you can speak the same language as the people who are coming over. If you want to volunteer, we will certainly take the help. Good reporting. I'm Matt Rivers in Hungary for us. Thanks very much. And we'll be right back. 
I'm Wolf Blitzer. Thanks very much for watching. Please join me in the Situation Room tomorrow, 6 p.m. Eastern, and log on to our new streaming network, CNN Plus, for the newscasts with uh, Wolf Blitzer. That's weeknights, 7.30 p.m. Eastern, or on demand. And I'll see you right here tomorrow night as well. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.